You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Western governments attribute a large-scale campaign against poorly secured connected devices to Russia. Battle space preparation is suspected. No new U.S. sanctions against Russia yet, but the matter remains under consideration. ZTE falls under the same cloud as Huawei. Desert Scorpion spyware's been ejected from the Google Play Store. And there's a winner in RSA's Innovation Sandbox. Big ID took away the prize. Coming to you from the RSA Conference in San Francisco, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Tuesday, April 17th, 2018. The U.S., British, and Australian governments yesterday unambiguously attributed a large-scale campaign against vulnerable routers to Russian security services. U.S. CERT, in an advisory worth reading in its entirety, identified the affected systems. Quote, Generic Routing Encapsulation, GRE, enabled devices... Cisco Smart Install, SMI-enabled devices, and Simple Network Management Protocol, SNMP-enabled network devices. These are U.S. CERT notes widely used by both enterprise and private individuals. Exploitation would need no zero days. The campaign has successfully taken advantage of insecure legacy installations beyond end-of-life systems that no longer receive patches and other poor practices. The governments making the attribution do so at a time of markedly increased tension between Russia and Western countries. The Salisbury nerve agent attack and Russian support of Syria's Assad regime contribute to those tensions. Observers in the U.S. and U.K. suggest that Russia is preparing for a cyber campaign against critical infrastructure. Russian motives against connected devices strongly suggest ongoing battle space preparation— and the prospective targets warn that Russia can expect retaliation. Chinese equipment manufacturer ZTE has been subjected to U.S. sanctions, joining Huawei in the business penalty box. The U.S. decision made note of ZTE's sketchy record with respect to observing international sanctions. The U.K. also issued warnings about Huawei devices. The British concerns were directly and explicitly addressed to security issues in the company's products. Lookout finds highly targeted Desert Scorpion surveillance wear in Google Play. It's associated with APTC23 and seems most interested in Palestinian targets. Google has removed it from the Play Store and updated Play Protect to keep it out. NSS Labs made news at last year's RSA conference with the release of their Advanced Endpoint Protection Group Test, evaluating market-leading security products on effectiveness and total cost of ownership. They're back with a new edition of the report for 2018, and we've got Jason Brevnik, CTO at NSS Labs, to take us through what they found. You know, we assess whether or not and how a product does uh, against attacks you're reasonably likely to face in the wild. 
we capture live exploitation and live malware, and then we replay them in a, in a comparable way against all the technologies and represent that as a security effectiveness score. And this year we observed an effectiveness between 59 and 99% roughly uh, between uh, the, the 20 products we've verified. And, and what does that range represent? That range represents uh, protecting 60% of the attacks you're likely to face or 99% of the attacks you're likely to face. It's, it's interesting that there could be that much disparity. Uh, also, though, in testing, we saw that there's a, a pretty rapid exchange between vendors in the, quote, Intel space, if you will, where when one vendor notices a, a new piece of malicious code, a lot of the other vendors then benefit from that observation at the same time. So we had to actually take some specific steps to avoid the, tainting the results in that way and ensuring that everybody had an equal shot. Hmm. So uh, was there anything outstanding this year that uh, that surprised you that was uh, unexpected? A couple things, actually. The one that stands out the most and is always interesting is what we call evasions. The ability of a product that detects something malicious, whether it's an exploit or a piece of malware, and then to have that product resubjected to that same known thing and have it miss it when we apply evasive techniques to it is interesting. It says that you know the bar's not very high on the attacker side to be able to to get their malicious deeds done. We saw nine of the products tested missing at least one evasion. Well, then let's dig in here. Uh, what are some of the results? Uh, who came out ahead, and uh, who needs to uh, do a little work? That's a great question. If if I look at the security value map and what the data is telling us, and, and we understand the premise of operations and headcount and unprotected costs versus protected costs. There's some strong players in the space. In the upper right quadrant, you've got Sentinel-1 did really well. Palo Alto did really well. And they have what would appear to be some strong products that can unify the AV and EDR capabilities that, that are necessary in the market. Uh, of course, there's variances in each of the technologies, but at the, the very simple premise of do you stop the attacks you're facing and when you don't, do you provide the details necessary for an enterprise to respond? I think we have some pretty strong products there. Certain companies uh, in their marketing materials and, and then when they describe their technology, uh, they come at it from different directions. For example, some companies are all in on artificial intelligence, you know, those sorts of things. Do you find any alignment between the types of, uh, of systems that people say they're using and how they come out in your tests? Are there, are there any trends there? Are there any patterns? Yeah, so, you know, last year we saw some interesting things there where machine learned was all the rage and AI and, and that kind of stuff. And what we observed were the new players had promise, but there were a lot of, of edge cases that they just weren't yet up on. Uh, I think we saw a more robust showing this year from the machine learned vendors uh, relative to their you know more traditional peers, but still a number of edge cases. In, in cases, for example, where offline protections where the, the most promise exists, we're not connected to anything, we don't have any cloud intelligence or quote signatures, we can still protect you. I think we saw a number of areas where uh, that, that really could be summed as we protect you from the things that we've experienced in the past, not the new creative things we're likely to experience. There's um, you know some promise certainly in that space, but I think we're not yet seeing a realization or the promise entirely. But I'm not seeing an incredible difference between the two approaches other than when you weigh the intelligence they can provide back to the enterprise in order to further action these things. The traditional vendors and the, the 
more advanced AEP vendors that have EDR-like functionality built in are providing a lot more context around the attacks they're facing than the vendors that simply make a conclusion and don't have the supporting details. And so there, there's a gap, I think, in the market there that shows in our scoring and representation that will be interesting. So in terms of uh, recommendations for those folks who are out there shopping for these technologies, um, based on the results that you've seen, do you have any guidance uh, for how people should go about uh, looking for what's right for them? Certainly. There's there's a number of strong products that made recommended in uh, in our testing beyond you know having been validated as, as providing quality protections and insight and visibility you need to look at the ecosystem you're dealing with manageability agent proliferation uh, total cost of ownership or roi that we're, we represent in the testing as well how many headcount it takes to manage it exact that kind of stuff there's a, a number of players both in the traditional space where you probably have existing relationships and in the emergent space that are you know very strong in the endpoint realm that could probably unify your endpoint presence pretty well. I think that should be a consideration for anybody that's that's today looking at defending, you know, the enterprise holistically and and looking to have a leg up on the ability to respond quickly to an emergent attack. That's Jason Brevnik from NSS Labs. You can find their complete advanced endpoint protection group test on their website. RSA is in full swing today as keynotes begin at the Moscone Center. Yesterday's highlight was the Innovation Sandbox, in which 10 of the most interesting startups in the sector competed for recognition. Two finalists were selected from the field. One was Fortinix, whose runtime encryption protects data in use and thus offers cloud users a trusted enclave. Applications run inside a secure envelope that travels with the app wherever it moves. The other finalist was Big ID, which offers a solution to a range of privacy challenges by identifying personal data, correlating it with persons, and placing that data in context. The judges finally selected Big ID as the winner. The topicality of the challenges the company addresses and those challenges' attendant market needs carried the day. Privacy rights are in the forefront of most enterprises' concerns, especially, if you'll forgive us for reminding you again of something you already know, with the full implementation of the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, just a month and change away. As Big ID pointed out in their presentation, rights adhere to persons, and if you can't associate the data with the people, you can't really protect their rights to that data. Most Innovation Sandbox finalists have over the years compiled impressive records in the market. Success has by no means been confined to the winners, so it's worth giving another look to all of 2018's finalists. Alcavio, Awake, Big ID, Blue Vector, CyberGRX, Hysolate, Refirm Labs, ShieldX, and StackRocks. We'll have continuing coverage of the RSA conference throughout the week. If you'll be at San Francisco's Moscone Center this week, stop by and say hello to the CyberWire team. We'll be at the Akamai booth, 3625 in the North Hall, We hope to see you there, and we thank Akamai for their hospitality. And finally, a musical note. All of the Innovation Sandbox finalists came to the stage to walk up music of their own selection, and we always look forward to their stylings. Yet no one this year, or to our knowledge ever, have chosen Metallica's Enter the Sandman, despite its excellent track record introducing Mariano Rivera when he emerged from the Yankees' bullpen to shut down some hapless opposition. The absence of Enter the Sandman from the Sandbox is curious, 
and would seem to stand in need of explanation. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, nice to connect here at RSA in person. Hi, it's great to be here, Dave. We are really, really, really excited to be here to talk to you about the 2018 Accenture Security Cyber Resilience Report. We get asked all the time, what is happening in our industry, not only from a cybersecurity perspective, but from a business perspective? And not only that, I think... Probably the number one question that that we field from our CISOs and from the C-suite and boards is, how are we doing versus everyone else in our insights and the way that we are conducting and building our cybersecurity programs? So today, uh, I brought with me Ryan LaSalle. Ryan LaSalle is the Global Managing Director for Accenture Security Strategy and Growth. And this, I'm really proud that he's here with us because this is the second year that we've been doing this report, and it's got a lot of great insights. All right. Well, Ryan, welcome. Uh, why don't we just start off? Why don't you take us through some of the highlights of what you found in this report? You know, when we did this last, we launched this last year, we uh, started with about 2,000 security leaders across uh, several different countries. And this year, we're pretty excited because we've expanded that to 4,600 security leaders in companies over a billion dollars across 15 countries. And what we saw in the changes from last year has really been 
the start of a return on the investment that people are making in security. We've seen dramatic improvements across several different areas of performance in security. We've seen improved detection rates. We've seen improved uh, defensive effectiveness from many of our many of these organizations. And we're seeing that on average, the uh, the time to detection is getting better and better. There's still some areas to address. I think many organizations see that they need to continue to invest, and, and almost 40% of the companies uh, surveyed are planning to significantly or up to double uh, their security investment next year. We see that there's a there's a path, though, towards getting to a steady state in security. And the last thing I'll say is we've also noticed that there's a bit of a disconnect between where organizations are investing and their priorities and their adoption of what I'd consider innovative and breakthrough technologies. Describe to me, what do you mean by that disconnect? How, how is that playing out? Well, only about 40% of the companies we surveyed are investing in capabilities like artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, blockchain, and other some of the kind of bedrock stuff that we see in the market and security as, as being innovative and, and um, transformative to how organizations can improve their defenses. But we also see that many organizations are expecting that their providers are doing that for them as well. So they're we see that that's going to be one of the ways that the other 60% start to achieve some of those those outcomes. So, Ryan, I, I think one of the things that stands out about this report is that there's actually, uh, as you look forward, there's some good news here. You, there's some uh, reason to be hopeful. Yeah, I think that is a, a very positive sign that we picked up in this in this report in our research. Uh, one of the key insights we, we saw was, given the uh, performance improvements we've seen over, year over year, and the way that organizations have, have tackled the critical cybersecurity capabilities they need to be effective, we, we see that in about two or three years, many organizations will be at a point where it won't require stair-step increases in security budgets to achieve the capabilities that they need to get good at. They'll be able to get to uh, almost a steady state in their operations where they can innovate within within their budgets and investments. And I think one of the reasons that's happened is uh, one of the big changes we saw from last year was almost twice as many organizations have had their security budgets authorized and directed by their board or CEO. So now that CISO has a direct line of communication up to the part of the organization that is most determined to manage risk, and they are able to be more effective in their spend and in business adoption of the kind of behaviors and capabilities they need to be successful. Justin, the report has some uh, practical steps here, some advice uh, for reaching resiliency. Um, Can you take us through those steps? Sure. The first here would be uh, uh, building a strong foundation. And your listeners should be not surprised uh, how many times I've harped uh, around doing the basics well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our research really has shown that focusing on the basics, for instance, network segmentation or multi-factor authentication or encryption, et cetera, uh, is really making a, a big difference with these results. The second would be pressure testing resilience like an attacker. This is something that our team embraces across cyber defense, which is thinking like the adversary. Instead of thinking more uh, in terms of how can I do blanket security, thinking in terms of what an attacker or what the enemy or what the adversary could do or want to do to your environment. Uh, The third would be employing breakthrough technologies. We're starting to actually see the fruits of our industry's labor by focusing on artificial intelligence, on machine learning, and next-generation type of approaches to cyber defense, such as on the endpoint. And we're starting to finally see uh, uh, the results of that, even though it's taken several years. 
Uh, the fourth would be being proactive in using threat hunting. As you know, this is near and dear to my heart because I run the threat hunt team. Being able to uh, constantly look for the adversary or look for uh, malicious events through the three main areas. Number one would be application of, of known bad, which is threat intelligence. Second would be looking for anomalous uh, behavior. And the third one would be looking for suspicious behavior. And the fifth is evolving the role of the CISO. This is exactly the heart of the matter we're, we're trying to drive toward in a report like this, and that is cyber defense and cybersecurity is not just IT's problem. It's not an operational issue. It is a risk to the business. And the more our CISO can speak in terms of of the business and communicate that to business stakeholders and to the C-suite and to the board, the more successful uh, they will be at not only uh, getting the money, (laughs) getting the necessary budget, but also in creating an environment where uh, the, the true business leaders of an enterprise or the corporation or the military or the government are making informed risk decisions based upon what's happening to their business. All right. Justin Harvey and Ryan LaSalle, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>